Hi everyone, welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I've been doing film reviews since 1996. I invite you to check out all of my written work there anytime at Quipster.net. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Wherever you're listening to this right now, I also want to remind you that I do another podcast that covers brand new movies out in theaters. It is called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Just search for it wherever you're listening to this right now and you'll probably find it. Just remember that Quipster is spelled with a W instead of a U. As you know, I've been covering the Nightmare on Elm Street series so far, and the only question is, where do I stop? Do I stop with the 1980s? Do I continue on into the 90s since the series kind of continued toward the beginning of that? If you have your own thoughts on that, you can write to me. You can find my contact information at my website. I've... But for now, we're staying in the 1980s, 1987 to be specific for the next entry in this podcast series. A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors is the name of the film. Dream Warriors, as I'll refer to it through the course of this review, it's an R-rated film, of course, like all the others. Gore, strong violence, nudity, sensuality, drug use, and language are in the film. The runtime is an hour and 39 minutes. Patricia Arquette, Heather Langenkamp, Craig Wasson, Robert Englund are among the main stars. Lawrence Fishburne, Ken Sagos, Jennifer Rubin, Rodney Eastman, Bradley Gray, Ira Hyden, Penelope Sudro, Priscilla Pointer, and... The return for a very small role for John Saxon. They're all in the film. Chuck Russell is the director of this one. The third film, the third different director. That will be something that continues on through the rest of this series. The screenplay is credited, nevertheless, to Wes Craven, along with Bruce Wagner, Frank Darabont, and the director, Chuck Russell. Now, Dream Warriors is easily the best of the sequels in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Some lovers of the franchise even consider it better than the original in many ways. It certainly is a more expansive and conceptually realized effort with a higher budget, you have better acting here, impressive production design, interesting characters, one's worth following, even though they are stereotypes. It's more eye-popping and surreal visual effects from what we saw in the first two entries for sure. It's infused with ample imagination such that Dream Warriors substantially builds upon the events of the first film without regurgitating any of those events. It opens up the mythos of Freddy Krueger and his control of dreams, as well as the character history, to a great effect beyond just being an excuse to watch teens die. This could have easily just settled into formula the way that the Friday the 13th series did. Some might say that it did after this movie, but... Now, Patricia Arquette, as I mentioned, this is her debut film role. I will say she's the star of the movie to a certain extent. Her character guides us through most of this film. She plays a troubled teenager named Kristen Parker. Kristen has visions of Freddy Krueger in her nightmares that ultimately leads her mother to believe that Kristen is suicidal. So Kristen sent off to the psychiatric ward at a nearby hospital where she becomes part of this recovery group for equally troubled teens who just so happen to be experiencing the same nightmares of this scarred and burned man with shape-shifting abilities out to kill them. None of them know exactly why. However, they do end up finding strength in numbers when it's revealed that Kristen has psychic abilities that allows all of them to enter the same dream. And each of the rest of these teens finds that they have special powers to use within that dream. So together, they just might have the strength to take on their powerful nemesis in the real world, Freddy Krueger himself. There's a lot more to the story than that. This movie gives you a good deal of story and plotting, something that I think most people would not necessarily have expected from a Nightmare on Elm Street slasher movie at this point in the series. 
Unlike its predecessor, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, which I reviewed in the previous episode, Dream Warriors as a film really succeeds in many ways. It introduces us to sympathetic characters that we come to care about, and also situations that those characters that we care about are placed in, through which we achieve a palpable sense of fear and potential loss for them. Each of them has a sad backstory, although they remain likable to us, as we find them individually and collectively challenging to the homicidal Freddy Krueger, who is looking to snuff them out in order to make himself even stronger. He feeds on their souls. Some of the body horror in Dream Warriors is memorably gruesome. If you're a gore hound, you definitely like this movie, so much so that those who may have only seen the film once in the 1980s, especially those people who are a little bit averse to that kind of gore, even if you haven't seen it since then, like me, I haven't seen it since the movie theaters back when I was in high school, you're going to remember a lot of these horror set pieces decades later. And if it's been a while since you've seen the film, I would wager, based on my experience, that you'll remember the boy who's being used as a puppet by Freddy by controlling his own veins through his body like strings, or the mute boy who's tongue-tied to his own bed by the topless nurse, or Dick Cavett and Zsa Zsa Gabor making a cameo appearance becoming part of the nightmare landscape of television, or in the puckering needle marks hungry for drugs in the arms of one of the characters who's an addict. Now, unlike its predecessor, Freddy's Revenge, Dream Warriors continues with characters that are introduced in the first entry through the reemergence of its main heroine. We see Nancy Thompson in this film again, played by Heather Langenkamp. Her arc with her father, who's played by a returning John Saxon in a smaller role here, they're both back. That is a nice surprise for fans of the series in seeing Nancy and her father return, although Heather Langenkamp She's not really somebody who nails the performance, which is built on making her seem a little bit more mature. She has a gray streak in her hair and a PhD in psychology with an emphasis in dreams and hypnosis. Although the actress was only 22 years old at the time of filming, she's supposed to be six years older than we saw her in the first film, but certainly they're trying to play her as if she's like in her 30s, maybe even her 40s. Nevertheless, it's great to see Nancy back in the series. Langenkamp, while still a nice presence, is not one to really command the screen to make for a formidable foil for Freddy on her own, so it's nice to have this ensemble of actors to be able to pull together to take on Freddy. It definitely makes it much more realistic that they might actually defeat him. Now, three films into the series, as I mentioned, finds a different director attached to each of them. You have first-time Helmer Chuck Russell here. Russell was known mostly as a screenwriter before this. He co-wrote a very similar premise involving shared dreams in 1984's Dreamscape. I've reviewed that on this show. You go back a few episodes and you'll find a review of that. He bolsters the tightness of the story with a good sense of humor, a good sense of horror, and some chutzpah. And interestingly, speaking of Dreamscape, Chuck Russell was not the first director that was attached to this. Actually, the director of Dreamscape, Joseph Rubin, was the one that had been sought out initially to direct Dream Warriors. However, he had already signed on for another horror film, The Stepfather, which came out the same year, so he was unavailable. But Rubin recommended Russell as the director instead, even though he didn't have any real experience at the time. It worked out for the film. As a writer, Chuck Russell knows well the need to set things up properly before delivering the nastier set pieces, and he also raises the level of tragedy involved in knowing that not all of the young cast is going to make it out of the film alive, even though we root for their survival throughout. Now, in addition to Chuck Russell, the screenplay boasts some popular names I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Wes Craven was impressed by an unrelated, unpublished screenplay that he had read from novelist screenwriter Bruce Wagner. 
Craven asked Wagner to co-script with him for Dream Warriors. Their script was going to be the one that was going to be the story for this. Now, Wes Craven had originally been opposed altogether to having any sequels to his original film, A Nightmare on Elm Street. However, after the second entry, Freddy's Revenge, had been an even bigger hit at the box office than his own entry, he realized that there really was a large fan base for his original ideas, so he ended up climbing back aboard with this script to expand upon the first film. He also wanted to take advantage of his opportunity here. He wanted to put a fitting end to the series. This third film was going to be the final one. Obviously, that did not happen. I'm going to be continuing on as we find out. Now, Craven's original thought for this film was this idea he had that Freddy would burst out into the real world instead of the nightmare realm. And it would be a meta film in which Freddy attacks the actors who are making an Elm Street sequel. That idea, unfortunately, was nixed. It was kind of a brilliant idea, but that was only for now. He would end up using that same idea for the premise of his own reimagining of this film series of sorts in the film Wes Craven's New Nightmare that came out in 1994. Now, Wes Craven and Bruce Wagner went with a different direction for their intended script, one which you can find more or less intact in the novelization that is for this movie from Jeffrey Cooper that came out the same year. Despite Wes Craven's pedigree, despite his name recognition, the script would still undergo substantial revisions by the director Chuck Russell, along with a new talent he brought on board, Frank Darabont, who would eventually come to great fame for his work as a screenwriter and as a director for some pretty big movies of the 1990s, namely The Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile, and a lot of people know him today as the person who developed The Walking Dead for television. Now, as I mentioned, backstory is given to the Freddy Krueger story by this third entry. It includes the origin tale of how Freddy came to be within this religious convent that involved the raping of a woman by countless men there, making Freddy the bastard son of a hundred maniacs, as they say in this movie, which makes me recall a taunt made by Eli Wallach's character, Tuco, in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, where he shouts at Blondie, or Clint Eastwood's character, You're the son of a thousand fathers, all bastards like you. Now, with that corruption of divine origin comes this new way of defeating Freddy Krueger with information that ends up being delivered by this mysterious nun that frequents one of the mental hospital's psychologists, played by Craig Wasson, in one of the few angles in which the series as a whole ends up encroaching into traditional exorcism horror territory. Now, there are some great set pieces for Dream Warriors. You have Freddy coming in a variety of disturbing forms, a lot of kill moments that are particularly nasty, it introduces into the film the one-liners that Freddy would come to use in subsequent sequels to cap off each nightmare, very predictably, unfortunately, for the rest of the series. I would say the best part of the film is this notion that there are those who can have special powers in that dream realm. If they learn how to harness those powers, they have the chance to really be anything and do anything, kind of like Freddy does, although it's kind of a disappointment that this angle was mostly dropped by the subsequent entries in the series. They really tapped into something interesting there. They had something that they could build upon, and they didn't do it, and that's probably why the series after this takes a bit of a nosedive in terms of quality. Interestingly, Lawrence Fishburne, Larry Fishburne as he was called then, he has a supporting role in Dream Warriors, he would end up being in a film series that essentially was about this very topic I'm talking about. Even if it substitutes a worldwide state of virtual reality for the shared dreams, he was in the Matrix movies, which very much is reminiscent of a lot of the material that you find within this film. 
Now, one of the liabilities to the Nightmare on Elm Street series as a whole is that there seems to be no real rules when it comes to what Freddy Krueger can or can't do in a nightmare and what someone else does against him that's going to have an effect. He usually brushes it off in one case or sometimes he feels the pain. He seems omnipotent in many regards and then some teen in their dream is going to cause him great harm and yet nothing permanent ever seems to come from it except that which is dictated by the runtime. At the end, Freddy's always going to be vanquished, but not really. The door is always left open for him to return for a sequel because these movies make money and New Line Cinema is not really a huge studio, so they need a tentpole. This film series provided it. New Line Cinema has long been called the house that Freddy built, even though they would have even more lucrative success with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies in a few years. Their Dream Warriors really would prove to be a huge hit for New Line Cinema still, each successive release grossing more than the last in this series. It debuted at number one at the box office at the time of its release in February of 1987 and then ended up taking $45 million overall in its initial theatrical run with a budget of less than $5 million. Although many critics were mixed at the time, audiences really did love it and that was an assurance that despite Wes Craven's original intention to lay Freddy's body to rest once and for all, not only with the first film, but also with the third film, that this man of your nightmares named Freddy Krueger was going to be back for another go-round with a fourth part, and that will be on the very next episode. But before I get to that, I'll give the grade for this film. I give it three stars out of four. I think that I could argue that this is the best of the series. I go back and forth between it. I think Wes Craven's original concepts in the first film and that the terror that is evoked there really did set the trend. However, I really love this film as a follow-up to that movie, much more so than Freddy's Revenge, which a lot of people tend to overlook for a variety of reasons. But I think that Dream Warriors really did inject a good dose of adrenaline. If it was just as bad in quality or maybe took it into a completely different direction that nobody wanted, just like the second film, I think it probably would have ended here. But people were ravenous to see more of the Freddy Krueger saga after this one. If you're a fan of the series, you probably love this film. Enough to give it probably three and a half or four stars, but I'm going to give it three stars because I grade movies not based on how good they are in the series, but how good they are compared to other films that may have come out at the time. But for those that do love A Nightmare on Elm Street, you're definitely in for a treat. It is a must-watch for the series. Anyway, next week, as I mentioned, I'm going to be getting into the next chapter in the Nightmare on Elm Street series, and that is called A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. For the very next episode, if you're keeping up with me, you'll be able to check that out. That episode will drop in a week's time from this one. So hopefully you're sticking with it. If you haven't done so already, click that subscribe button and you'll continue to get all of my film reviews as I cover films of the 1980s. But until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies. <laughs>